Episode of Sean and Ed's Do Baseball. This is a podcast where two friends exchange stories from baseball history. And the other one doesn't know what the story is going to be. We take right. turns. We That's take right. turns researching stories from baseball's past. That's uh, right. He's people, Sean. I'm Ed. Oh, yeah. I'm, he's Ed's. Sorry. <laughs> I have a little bit of a cold this week. Yeah, I'm you're not, a little not, out of it. I'm not on top of everything. I, I knew you were like waiting for that. I'm like, do I do it after or do I do it before? Well, I, know. I was. I'm Sean. I'm Ed's. We're doing baseball. Okay, there we go. Uh, last time I told Sean the story about Marty Bergen. You can listen to that in our archives. It was a story about a guy who had some inner demons that uh, at the time were was unable to get the help that he needed, and it ultimately ended in a horrible massacre. <laughs> <laughs> but if you love 1890s baseball, uh, check it out. Uh, so... Follow us on Twitter at Doing Baseball and Instagram at Doing Baseball. Uh, we are also on iTunes, Apple Podcasts. And give it a download. Give us a rating. Give us a review. Tell us what you really think. Uh, also, Spotify. Yeah, that's a new development. You can now find us on Spotify. So follow us there. We also have a guest. We have Hello. a guest. It is Angela Brasher. She is here. Uh, I'm here. She is our our first first ever guest on this on this podcast. Yeah. So she has a bit so of welcome. An- Thank you. I'm excited to be here. <laughs> you guys move your hand. <laughs> um, so uh, <laughs> you you have a bit of an advantage because you actually know this story already. Yes, I did read the book that you bought. Yes. So uh, yes, there's a great book on this. We'll talk about so that. I'm the only one in the dark. Yeah, Edzie's the only one in the dark. Uh, so I say we're. We're going to do this. Let's do this. Yeah, so this is also a, a, a story fantastic for women in baseball uh, and Black History Month uh, was part of the reason that I chose this subject. And holy shit, like this lady just kicks ass. All right, let's go. All right. So September 27th, 1932, Mamie Johnson was born. Uh, she was born as Mamie Belton at the time in Ridgeway, South Carolina. To Della Barton, Della Belton, and Havlow, and Gentry. They're interesting names. Yes, Della Barton, Havlow, and Gentry Harrison. Uh, Mama never mentioned it, but I'm sure I must have been born with a baseball in my hand. It's smooth white skin curving into my tiny brown palm. That was Mamie's quote about her birth. Okay, so right from the get-go, baseball fan. Baseball. She never knew her father, who left the family before she was born. While, while Johnson grew up, she was raised by her maternal grandmother, Sidonia Belton. Her mother, Della Belton, took a job in Washington, D.C., sent, sent money and came back to visit when she could. Johnson's family home in South Carolina was unusually pleasant, an unusually pleasant one. She lived in a large house with 18 rooms attached to a fruit orchard, many streams and woods and stuff on the property as well. So there was lots of room uh, for her to go out, and she loved getting outside and playing with the other kids, and she especially loved baseball. Nice. Uh, she started playing ball at an early age, uh, improvising and creating her own baseballs using 
rocks and masking tape and twine and whatnot. So she'd just collect materials and make her own balls. And you gotta do what you gotta do. Yeah. <laughs> so she dreamed of playing professionally, but she knew she already had two strikes against her. Number one, she was a girl, and number two, she was black. And this is early, or this is 1930s, right? So yeah. it's uh, pre-integration. So she, she would play as often as possible, saying girls did what the boys did, because there was nothing else to do. Uh, the diamond they would play on uh, in South Carolina had a pie plate for first base, a broken piece of a flower pot for second, a tree root near a lilac bush for third, and the lid from a five-gallon bucket of cane sugar for home plate. Her uncle, Leo Bones Belton, was much closer to her age than her parents and was much more like an older brother than an uncle. Uh, she, was, she was the one who co- here He was the one who coached and taught her how to pitch. I didn't pitch like a girl either, she was quoted saying in strong right arm. Bones made sure of that. Not an underhanded fling of the ball, but a surefire wind-up coming right at you smack dab over the plate. One that would let you know I meant business. She could run and field as well, but nothing made her, her grin on the inside like her pitching. Her grandmother disapproved of the pitching, saying the mound was no place for a girl. So, okay. But she was good, and she loved it. And her Uncle Bones sounds fantastic, so he was, he was the one that just taught her everything. He wanted to play, too. It's a bit of a... Uh, he he wanted to play and stuff like that, but eventually, you know, he 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 didn't make it happen. Mm-hmm. So uh, great nickname, by the way. I know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so her grandmother died of a stroke in the mid 1940s, early to mid 1940s, uh, and she was sent to Long Island, New, New Jersey, to live with her aunt Dorothy and Uncle Ed. She loved her life in South Carolina, Carolina, and she wondered if they even had baseball in New Jersey. But most, most of all, she'd miss her Uncle Bones. Why, why wouldn't they? Well, she was like nine or ten, you know? She was, she'd never known any I other guess. place. I guess. Uh, the night before she left, Bones comforted her and brought her outside, where he showed her the proper grip and technique to throw a knuckleball, and told her all about the Negro Leagues and games he had gone to with her grandfather back, like when she was real young or before mm-hmm. she was born. Mm-hmm. Um, once she arrived in New Jersey, she found out there was baseball. And not just for girls, but Mamie was, or, yeah, Mamie was disappointed when she found out she had to join the girls' softball team at the segregated elementary school she was playing or she went to. So, so she disappointed. Yeah, yeah. So the school's segregated, but they and they also just are like, there's, there's, uh, yeah, you play softball. <laughs> That's essentially yeah. what, much like many girls are still told to this day. Yeah, which sucks. Yeah. Um, uh. She didn't like it one bit. The ball was too big, and the girls' girls' team was still just learning the basics. After three games, she quit. Her uncle played catch with her when he could and even, even bought her a glove and showed her how to oil it and break it in. One day, she spotted a Sandlot game where all, of all white boys. She had always been raised to believe that God didn't make any people any different, black or white but thought God didn't get around to telling everybody since her school was all black and her aunt and uncle told her not to socialize with them, meaning like the white, the whites mm-hmm. on the other side mm-hmm. of town. Uh, she sat and watched, and she sat and watched, finally ch- chiming into a redheaded boy. You guys are pretty good. What do you know about it? He replied. Uh, give me that ball and I'll show you. She said. She's confident. She's got, well, she's, yeah. yeah, she loves baseball too. Yeah. She knows she's good. Uh, you're just a dumb girl. You're colored besides. 
A ball is a ball all the same. I don't know nothing about... It doesn't know nothing about the person throwing it, except whether they're good or not. Mm-hmm. Uh, hey, fellas, listen up. This colored girl thinks she can play ball, he hollered at all, the, all his friends on the field. I don't think nothing. I know I can play as good as you. She yelled even louder. So, she argued with the boys, receiving comments to, like, bad comments, like, this ain't no watermelon eating contest. Yeah. Yeah. Um, okay. And this is New Jersey, too, right? She moved from South Carolina to right. New Jersey. Yeah. It's still late, or it's probably early or early to mid-40s at this point. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's like the North, but like... Yeah, but like... Obviously, it's, it's, I think it paints a good picture that America wasn't just like, oh, the South is bad and everywhere else is just... Exactly. Handy. She's in a segregated school. She's in New Jersey. Um, so uh, the coach showed up and told her the league was sponsored by the local police. He was kind to her, but told her to run along, essentially. That night, she remembered what her grandma said. The Lord helps those who help themselves. The next day, she showed up to the precinct and asked if black girls playing baseball broke any laws. So she's just... She's a force to be reckoned with. Yeah. Yeah. It's a, yeah. She's just going for it. Yeah. She talked to the team's police officer head coach into letting her show him what, what she had. She showed him that she could not just play, but she could play better than most of the boys. And essentially, he just took her behind the precinct, and she just pitched to him, right? Yeah. And he was just blown away. He's held a tryout right there behind. Yeah. Um, Station. Yeah. Uh, so she'd be the first black player in this league's history. So, once again, she's... Right on. Yeah. So the coach told her not to worry about it, but let her strong right arm do all the talking. Um, and Strong Right Arm is the name of the book that I'll, I'll talk about. But, yeah, if you're listening this far. Did then, you bring it? Oh, I brought it. I definitely brought it. Are you leaving it here? I definitely will. You should. Yeah. Uh, yeah, you read. <laughs> no, it's good. It's only like 100 pages, too. And uh, it's it's just and, – and I think it would be good for – Right like, up my alley. <laughs> and, and it's like probably like a grade four reading level, too. Mm-hmm. So, Perfect. like yeah. – <laughs> <laughs> Fuck off. <laughs> <laughs> Um, okay. <laughs> okay. So her fellow players were not thrilled uh, when a small black girl was added to the team. Yeah. Uh, but the complaining subsided after she helped them win two league championships. Uh, so is that like uh, like 11 and 12, 13 maybe somewhere in there right. too? In high school in Long Branch, Johnson played football on the boys' football team. Once again, she's small <laughs> too, but she just has the tenacity of like a thousand people uh toward the end of her high school years she moved in with her mother in washington dc as a girl in south carolina johnson had heard about the negro leagues from her uncle and she had begun to follow the exploits of local washington homestead grace and other teams in the league and stuff like that one of the crazy like the things i I found out that was weird like we're i think we the negro leagues and and this the whole history and stuff like that is something that i'm really excited about in this podcast Mm -hmm. but just reading about like because white people would still go to these games, yeah. And but it was just so weird that they're, the preferential treatment, like they even for them, they they like black people had to sit in like the upper bleachers. Mm-hmm. They couldn't at the Negro League. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What? And and the white people were allowed in first, and and like it's all just just absolute in in crazy. We get we get in we get in mm-hmm. more to it too here. Um, so. She followed the. She followed them. Oh yeah. So when Jackie Robinson, 1947, 
uh, first major league game of the season. She was watching. She was so excited. Mm-hmm. Um, no it was a big moment for her. His first hit, Johnson recalled, uh, soared into center field and took the hearts and hopes of all colored people with it. So, Johnson rejoiced at Jackie Robinson's breakthrough. Although she had experienced the realities of pre-civil rights era segregation, these realities had never really sunk in. Segregation, you know, I didn't know anything about it because when I was small, when I left South Carolina, where I come from, it was all black. Johnson, she said on NPR uh, interview with Scott Simon, I went to New Jersey and I was in all white school. This was high school, not not elementary school. I don't know how that's like a hole in the story that I could not find. So she mm-hmm. went to a, like it was segregated schooling, but like her, I believe her high school was like all white, and she was one of the only black students. But right. her elementary school was all black. It was yeah, it's so, confusing. Yeah, um, I never knew the difference because I was treated just like any other child. After graduating from high school, uh, Johnson took a job at a local ice cream parlor and played on the St. Cyprian squad in Washington's Recreational Baseball League. So it would be somewhat similar to, to maybe like the Intercounty League mm-hmm. or whatever in, in uh, Ontario. In Ontario. Yeah. So um, uh, where am I? So yeah, in 1952, at the age of 17... Johnson and a friend, first baseman Rita Jones, answered a Washington newspaper notice inviting players to attend local tryouts for an All-American Girls Professional Baseball League. The organization had begun nine years earlier during World War II, and though it broke down barriers for women, Johnson and Jones encouraged each other. uh, Okay, yeah, so it broke down... It broke down barriers for women. We all have seen League of Our Own, or most yeah. people have seen League of Our Own. It's worth watching if you haven't. Yeah, I was going to uh, ask if that was... Yeah, so the it's the same league, league from League yeah. of Our Own. Uh, so Johnson and Jones encouraged each other, uh, getting ready to cr- travel across town by streetcar and then transfer onto a bus and take a ride about 25 minutes outside of D.C., but into Virginia, uh, where the tryout was being held. How's your right arm this morning, asked Jones, while the two were getting ready. Strong enough to whop you one if you don't come on, <laughs> Mammy said. Jesus. <laughs> He's hard. Mammy was anxious and for good reason. Or Mamie was anxious and for good reason. That day was the day she'd been waiting for her whole life. As they climbed onto the bus with all their equipment, they found the seat. They found their way to the back of the crowded bus. They didn't dare take many one of the many empty seats at the front. They found two seats and sat excitedly as the bus started to make its way. Where are you going with those bats? Asked a pudgy, hair, a pudgy pink-faced white boy sitting a few rows ahead of them. Leave those coloreds alone, his mom snapped at him. She whispered, but it was loud enough for everybody to be able to hear it anyways. Mm-hmm. After the boy protested, saying he wanted to play baseball too, his mother snatched him up and moved him a few rows closer to the front. So it's... It's not. It's it's not a good time. Yeah, and I mean, well, and was never. But and they're in D.C. and Virginia's right there in Virginia. You know, capital of the Confederacy and stuff. So, um, his mom takes him away. Uh, The All American girls weren't as popular uh, during the wartime, but they got paid and they played baseball. It was still professional baseball. So she was excited. It was her dream, and she's seventeen years old, and she's going for it, and she knows she's good. So once they arrived, they realized the team's spirit of openness didn't extend to African-American women. Uh, The league was all white, even as the major leagues had already begun to enter the era of integration. 
Johnson and Jones got off the bus and made their way to a cluster of maybe a hundred women crowded around the bleachers, some of whom were already sporting the skirted uniform that was used in the league. Even at a distance, Mamie could tell none of these girls looked like Rita or me. Uh, Rita stopped walking, uh, and Mamie could tell something was wrong. Rita stood there. Mamie tried to encourage her by tossing the ball to her and saying, well, let's just do what we always do with the St. Cyprians. And we've come all this way. We got to show them at least how good we are. Yeah, you're there. You might as well. Uh, so they began to warm up away from the crowd, popping each other's gloves with every throw until a man came up and approached them. What? What do you two gals think you're doing here? He had a clipboard in one hand and a cigar in the other. We're here for the tryout, sir. Uh, Mamie, Mamie said, squaring her shoulders and standing up straight. There must be some mistake, girls. This is a tryout for the All-American Girls League. You've got the wrong field. You probably have a game somewhere else. Uh, I wonder why he assumed that. <laughs> Mamie assured him that they were in fact at the correct field, fishing out the newspaper clipping uh, advertisement out of her front pocket. The man grabbed it and squinted at them, looking annoyed. He told them they didn't understand. Just because that colored boy Robinson and a few of his worm their way into the majors doesn't mean we want colored girls playing next to our girls. Fuck that guy. Yeah, Fuck. seriously. <laughs> I couldn't find his name. I wish I could find his name, but no, he's probably long dead. Uh, yeah. Now, why don't you two just take off before there's trouble? So he's kind of threatening them. And apparently there's... A, As the, though there's not trouble already. There's a, there's another group of men like approaching now right. slowly from another. So right. at this point, the crowd on the field was turned and staring. None of the women came to their aid. Rita started to grab her bag, but uh, Mamie pleaded with the man. We don't want trouble, sir. We just want to play ball. I can pitch and Rita can field just as good as any man. The man sneered in protest. Is that so? Well, let's see how fast you can run. <laughs> I am in charge, and if you two don't tie tail it out of here, I'll have you thrown out. So, it's, yeah, Virginia. He's going to run them out of there. Yeah, Mamie gripped the ball hard in her hand and was thinking about throwing it right at the man's face. Instead, she wound up and threw a perfect strike from the outfield to home plate. They grabbed their bags and made their way back to the bus stop. Uh, she took the leave them with an impression. Yeah, seriously. <laughs> um, so she took the rejection hard. She thought to herself, "They think I'm not as good as them." So she was heartbroken that she didn't even get a chance. She returned to D.C. and kept playing for St. Cyprian's. And in early 1953, in the midst of a pitching appearance that saw her mow down some of the city's top male hitters. She was sported by former Negro leaguer Bish Tyson. Tyson told her of an upcoming Indianapolis Clowns tryout and encouraged her to attend. She did, and by the end of the long day that saw her try, try out her pitching skills on various Clowns hitters, which, by the way, is just... Uh, the Clowns? <laughs> the Clowns. The Indianapolis Clowns. Like, Amazing. It is. <laughs> the mime... Okay. Send in... The Clowns. The Clowns. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, so uh, yeah. By the end of the day, she had a contract in her hand that paid her two hundred dollars a month. She was signed by the team manager McKinley Bunny Downs, who had a year earlier found a young hitter in the Sound Lots of the South named Hank Aaron. It's the same guy that signed her. Signed Hank. Hank Aaron. Good eye. Yeah. Exactly. And uh, it's a good company. Yeah. 
Um, so she joined the clowns uh, for spring training in Portsmouth, uh, Virginia, and wasn't even the only woman on the team. Second baseman Tony Stone had already been on the team for a year. Mamie claimed that they that it would have been twice as hard if Tony hadn't been there and made her way before her. Tony Stone. Tony Stone. I'm going to take, take a water break right now. So, <laughs> so yeah, there's already a, a, a girl in the league. Okay. But this Another is, amazing name throughout the history of baseball. Oh, Tony Stone is a, is a fantastic name. Um, so Tony Stone played second base. Um, uh, where am I here? Okay, so yeah. Tony Stone? Yeah, but they're in the South at uh, spring training. Uh, so the two were treated as every other player wearing the exact same uniform, expected to play just as good as any other member on the team. Uh, Mamie said the male players treated the two as gentlemen off the field, but as soon as they were on the field, any special treatment they got was gone. They were ball players, expected to play well or get out of the way for someone who could play better. Mamie was used as a utility That's infielder good. when she wasn't pitching on the mound. Yes, they're, they're being treated yeah, mm-hmm. equal, like, mm-hmm. completely. Inst- what like, league is this again? It's the Negro League. So oh, like, they, okay. they're it's playing the at the Clowns. You know, they play against the right. Kansas City right. Monarchs right, 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 and, and all those right. those amazing teams from back then. Um, uh, where is it? So, yeah. Finally, yeah. So, she was a utility infielder uh, when she wasn't on the mound. Admittedly, the professional ball schedule did take a toll on her early. Finding herself soaked in sweat heavy in the southern air and falling into bed every night asleep before her head could touch the pillow. Mm. Well, sometimes they played, like, what, like 200 games or something like that? Well, the season was 150 games, but they're still in spring training. Right. And the spring training schedule is still, like, you know, she was playing Mm -hmm. every Sunday for Mm -hmm. the St. Cypriots team, Mm -hmm. or St. Cyprians. Um, But they played, like, a lot of exhibitions and stuff back then, no? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. in In our Cool Papa episode, he, what... He played, like, 200 games one year or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, then spring training plus the exhibitions right. plus plus the 150-game schedule. Mm-hmm. It's a lot. It's a lot of work. But Continue. She did well, and word spread of her exploits on the mound, and crowds began to grow. Mm, excuse me. Uh, the team would play lots of different teams, Negro League teams, local teams, college teams, even recreational white teams that thought they could win because they were playing blacks. Most of the time, that did not work out for them. No. Uh, the stadium had two entrances as the crowds grew sometimes. Black fans would be stuck outside waiting at the black entrance till the early innings while the white entrance stood empty. So, once again. Like you were saying before. It's just, yeah. yeah. Mamie ha- had it's to crazy. look. Me, it's it's this is it, well this is the reality. So she had to learn off the field what life was like in Portsmouth, uh, where she could where she could eat and drink, what stores she could shop in, and what places she wasn't welcome at at all. Uh, in Birmingham, Alabama, at the time, there was a law against black and whites playing sports together, and you could be arrested and given a six-month jail sentence for throwing a ball. Or you're fined, right? Yeah, or you're fined a hundred dollar fine, which mm-hmm. would be for a throwing a ball. Yeah, it's just like for like if you're playing baseball, you're playing catch with like your yeah. With there's a black person and a white person playing, like, and I'm assuming that's like who's gonna get. This I was gonna say who gets the fine. Yeah. yeah. So this is Jim Crow South, right? We're still in the early 50s. Right, right. Uh, And she's only like 17, 18 at this time too, right? Mm-hmm. It's not like, yeah, it's, it's fucked up. Uh, finally, the day came for them to go back and head to Indianapolis. The regular season schedule was a grueling 150, ga- 150 games with travel consisting of a single unair-conditioned bus. 
The rules at the time were that winning team would take home 60% of the gate and the loser 40%. Because of this, she was used to get fans out, especially in smaller areas that attracted less people. Uh, when people found out a woman was pitching, more people would show up. So she was treated as an equal, like but at the attraction. same point, she was a bit of an attraction. Yeah. And they knew, like, it sounds, she was good, but they they were, you know, at this time, integration had happened. Watch this girl. She's well, as good as a man. Isn't it amazing? Yeah. Well, integration had happened. So, so the Negro Leagues had were lost players. Mm-hmm. So, you know, they were trying to stay relevant and, and trying to do their thing. And it's, yeah, it's like she got her shot and she definitely was good enough. <laughs> mm-hmm. So, uh, so she was being paid four hundred dollars a month at this point, more than she had ever made uh, before. A lot more than she had made scooping ice cream. Early on, with guidance from other players, letting her know that the good times wouldn't last forever, she decided she wanted to attend college in the off season and began sending money back home to save for tuition. And she started taking courses and stuff uh, to further her education. Smart. Yeah. Um, Traveling at the time for the team resembled more of like a bronc punk band than a pro baseball team. Uh, Sweet. Sleeping wherever they could sometimes. <laughs> Big cities had nice, nicest hotels, uh, but that wasn't always the case, especially mm-hmm. when they were down south. Mm-hmm. Uh, Still sandwiches on the bus, bathroom breaks wherever they could find a bush on the side of the road. Some nights they slept on church floors, or if they couldn't find anywhere else, they'd just all sleep on the bus. The bus would break down sometimes, run out of gas before they could reach the next game. Once again, this was because some towns in the south had whites-only gas pumps. So that's fucked up. Yeah. <laughs> so they would, like, run out of gas between towns? Yeah, because, well, if you got to a, a town or if, you know, you didn't calculate the mileage properly mm-hmm. or whatever happened. And, so you're probably carrying and, jerry cans around and stuff, I would imagine. Yeah, when, when I remember reading one time she was just like yeah she's like i don't understand why they had whites only gas pumps it's just like our bus is out of gas and we want to leave why won't you do (laughs) you don't want us here yeah you don't want us here like yeah it was not well thought out no by Uh, whoever made that policy (laughs) (laughs) um get out of here well we can't (laughs) so the team would show up exhausted sometimes from pushing the bus a few miles uh, actually, this is a fun... So Mr. Downs, Bunny Downs, the guy that hired, uh, found her uh, right. and Hank Aaron, uh, he hired a comedian named King Tut to travel with the team to keep spirits high. <laughs> <laughs> That's so they, great. They, they, yeah, he apparently had like a big oversized glove and would just do his bit. But it's amazing that it's just like... Why was his name King Tut? I don't know. That was like... It was the 50s. That was like a, your, your character, right? You're, you're doing... Wait, so he was like named after... I don't, Egyptian pharaoh. We can do an episode on King and, and had a giant I, I, didn't, I just found it hilarious that the owner was just like, yeah, you guys have it rough out there. Here's a comedian. Yeah, to keep, yeah. This guy's your jester to just like keep you all like happy. Uh, the, <laughs> so The vaudeville days. Yeah. Uh, Mamie would, would get taunts uh, from the crowd, especially from white spectators. Her teammates, especially the veteran ones, would calm her down and remind her just to show what she had on the field. Still, the black fans treated her and the team like royalty. One day in Kansas City, a tall, lanky man walked up to her. Quite an arm you got there. It was Satchel Paige. Mm. So, anybody that doesn't know who Satchel Paige is, he, he's a legendary pitcher. Probably one of the best pitchers of all time. Yeah. 
uh, and he didn't make it to the majors, right? Briefly at the end of a, his career, he but briefly, he was like, he yeah. was an old man. Yeah, yeah. Well, this is point. so. This is like 1953, 1954. So he's older at this point too, like well into his forties right. at least at this point. I, okay. I, I don't know exactly his birthday, but um, so either way, he is still a legend, and he's with the Kansas City Monarchs. They're mm-hmm. there, and he walks up to her and says, "Quite an arm you've got." There. Yeah, you're good. Yeah. There. Satchel sat with her and talked pitching. It was like talking to a god. He showed her his he showed her his pitch grips and how he threw them. Mamie, until this point, was a fastball changeup pitcher, occasionally mixing in Uncle Bones' knuckleball. Satchel taught her to throw a curveball, a pitch she would use two years later in the Negro in the Negro League World Series to sh- to shut down Paige's own team. Her own teammate Hank Bayless two years later, so she plays for for two more years. And then mm-hmm. in uh, 1955, they make it to the Negro League World Series. So Bayless, uh, Hank Bayless, was one of the best hitters in the league, and third baseman for the Kansas City Monarchs. He was one of the most feared hitters in the league. After getting two strikes on Bayless with two outs in the ninth inning, a fan yelled, "Oh, mama!" Look out, Bayless. That little girl going to make you cry. <laughs> oh, what an awesome heckle. <laughs> Watch out, Bayless. It's not good. Yeah, so Bayless stepped out of the batter's box and turned toward the crowd. Why, that girl ain't bigger than a peanut. I ain't afraid of her. So he's... He's he's like he's two, calling so. back. Now. Yeah, he's yeah, the batter. Bayless stepped out, and this is like the world, the the World Series. This like, is yeah, yeah, this, this is, is a the big, dance. Yeah, this is the big thing, and it's the ninth inning with two outs. I, I don't think I, I don't know whether this was the last game of it or 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 just one of the games. And isn't mm-hmm. there a runner on second? Yeah, there's yeah. like it's it's a big it's situation, a big spot. Yeah. and she, it's the ninth inning, two outs, runner in scoring position. She's got two strikes on him, and he's like, ah, oh, she's just a peanut. <laughs> <laughs> Which is like the cutest insult, like yeah. <laughs> just a little peanut. Yeah, she was about five two, yeah, five three. Small. Yeah, but she's still through. I think she was like 98 pounds as well. Um, she's not going to strike me out. She's adorable. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Mamie even laughed. She was five foot two, 110 pe- or 100 pounds. Just I am adorable. <laughs> she reared back just as Satchel Paige had taught her and threw a wicked curveball. Bayless swung so hard he might have broke his back. Uncle With a Bones. thud, the ball hit the catcher's mitt. And the game was over. Call me Peanut! <laughs> she hollered at home plate. Oh, nice. <laughs> so she just like, oh, it was like the ultimate, like, like just, yeah, just getting so... Very pumped. cathartic. Yeah. Uh, from then on, she it's was adorable. known as Peanut. It's so adorable. she strikes this guy out to end the game, heckles right back at him, calls, my name's Peanut. So it was 1955, her third year in the league, after that season, she received a letter of acceptance from North Carolina uh, Agriculture and Technology University or college anyways, to study to become a nurse. She decided to leave the team and to pursue her education more. From 1953 to 1955, she compiled a record of 33-8 and eight and batted a respectable 270. Uh, the Negro Leagues were changing. With integration, the major leagues had rated most of the best players and with the talent, so left the crowds. 
the Clowns left the league after the championship season, and by 1961, the rest of the league had pretty much folded. Uh, yeah. Mamie attended college, graduating with a nursing degree, and married her husband, Charles Johnson. The two had a son named Charlie. Uh, Mamie was the one of three women to play in the Negro Leagues, along with Connie Morgan and, of course, her teammate Tony Stone. Right. Uh, for years and years, their accomplishments went unheralded in baseball. Mamie would get calls from reporters trying to verify her story, who would sometimes condescendingly say things like, Well, I've been in the baseball business 40 years, and I've never heard of you. That's a good way to get a story. Yeah, well, exactly. It's, it's, <laughs> yeah. She, there's a one, one time she said back to a guy, she was like, well, we're in the same boat because I've never heard of you either. Yeah. <laughs> and apparently he just like hung up and it was just like, well, and this is still like, you know, for a, you know. She sounds quick as a whip. She, she like literally <laughs> the most badass woman. Yeah. I've, one of the, I've, I've ever researched. Um, so Baseball Hall did not recognize them uh, for decades, but did proudly display the uniform of the All-American girls who had not allowed them to play because of their race. Because mm-hmm. uh, it was a movie. Yeah, because the movie. Well, even before that, right? Like this, she, you know, was retired in '55, and right. you know how I don't think the Hall of Fame really started recognizing until like late '90s, 2000s, when they started putting their more like women in baseball things mm-hmm. in. And yeah, that was probably League of Our Own probably had a lot to do with that too. Yeah. Um, uh, all right, yeah, so she received many other accolades, being honored by President Clinton, and in 2008, Major League Baseball recognized former African-American players who had been excluded from the major leagues by ceremoniously drafting them to existing teams. Johnson was drafted to her local team, the Washington Nationals. Uh, for much of her life, uh, Mamie worked as a registered nurse, But after retiring from that career, she took a job at the Negro Leagues Baseball Shop in Capitol Heights, Maryland. In 1999, she created the the They Played Baseball Foundation, a nonprofit organization dedicated to baseball instruction and and to transmitting the history of the game, particularly of the Negro Leagues, to young people. Cool. Mamie coached most of her adult life and even helped start the Mamie Johnson Little League in 2015 in Washington, D.C., a league that prides itself on providing competitive but fair play. She was a mentor to Monet Davis, the first African-American girl to play in the 75-year history of the Little League mm, World Series. I was going to say, I was going to make that comparison. Yeah, yeah. Well, she, yeah. So apparently she knew her before and, and was at the game, right. even the, the shutout that mm-hmm. uh, Monet pitched. And in. she went through like a lot of... Oh, God, yeah. Not like in the exact same ways, but like I, I remember reading stuff online at the time when that little league world series was going on and people were just like you know totally upset that there was a girl doing so well in the little league world series like what the fuck like it doesn't make any sense it so apparently she was an influence on on monet and and either way she was at the games and stuff um so it was the Negro Leagues baseball shop that Johnson offered to autograph a jersey for a Maryland freelance writer, Michelle Y. Green. The ensuing conversation between the two, uh, two women turned into a book called A Strong Right Arm and into a round of media appearances for Johnson. Overlooked for many years, Mamie Peanut Johnson was now in demand for interviews and for the ceremonial opening toss at baseball games, minor leagues, and majors. Uh... 
50 years after being told she couldn't play because she was a girl or because she was black, Mamie was recognized for what she had done with baseball. Hmm. Mamie Johnson nice. died December 18th, 2017 in Washington, D.C. Uh, because of cardiac-related causes. Hmm. That's too bad. Yeah. But she did a but what a hell of a, what a life. Yeah. Oh my God, no. That's why you never give up on you know on your dreams? What mm-hmm. you want to do, right? Well, especially just just. She went. She just experienced so much discrimination and. Yeah, she just and she going. just she persevered through it. She's like, whatever. I'll try the next thing I can do. Well, and it's it's amazing that she, you know, she just got her chance. But it was amazing how hard headed she was about. Mm-hmm. Like she just like had that hardened attitude that mm-hmm. probably like carried you through a lot of the. Which adversity is, that she faced. But I mean, that's the problem, right? Like, is mm-hmm. is is it shouldn't be that hard? Is it like a chicken or the egg sort of situation? Well, no, I'm just I'm just commenting on like that. That is she hard because she faces so much adversity, or is she? Well, I I just think she was she. That's just the person she was, right? Yeah. Like it yeah. sounded like her grandmother taught her a lot of. Uh, right. So I mean, that, but like, but that is that is like the racism of it all is the fact that like it shouldn't be that hard. You shouldn't mm-hmm. have to persevere that hard yeah. to do something that you're capable of doing. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, that that's, that's, I don't know. It was an amazing, just like reading this. So anybody out there, strong right arm uh, is fantastic. As I say, kids probably as young as like 10 or 11 could read it mm-hmm. pretty easily. Obviously some of these stories, there's, a, I mean, stories about racism and, and stuff like that. So, I mean, but it's probably a great learning tool and like any young girls out there that are into baseball i mean that's like you have to totally. buy that mm-hmm. totally. and inspiring I, story yeah and and i believe actually i i saw uh when i was looking this up uh, there's a children's book coming out now mm-hmm. i think it's being published this year it might already be uh uh on Google Books or something like that. Oh yeah, I'm not connected to your internet. But either way, look out for that. <laughs> look out for that too. Um, yeah, so uh, check it out. Strong right arm, Michelle Y Green. Like it's it, it was great. Obviously, I used it more than that. But mm-hmm. when I wanted mm-hmm. to do this, I, I found out there was a book, and I was just like, oh, I'll just order the book. And mm-hmm. and I mean, yeah, I'm gonna get that for my niece <laughs> and yeah. my nephew. Yeah, um, I'm probably gonna do the same thing. So. Yeah, yeah. Uh, um, yeah. So that was the story of Mamie Peanut Johnson. Yeah, that was well, a good story. Was, one of the most badass girls ever. Yeah, that was cool. Uh, so, yeah, before we get out of here, I want to say follow us on Twitter, mm-hmm. uh, at Doing Baseball and Instagram now. We're not really posting too much stuff there. We might try that out. But anyway, mostly on Twitter, at Doing Baseball, uh, at Bird Baby Birds, and at The Ed 17. Uh, check us out on Spotify now and Apple Podcasts. Give us a follow and five-star reviews. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, so, and uh, if you want to see our website where the sources for these uh, podcasts will be, it's, uh, I, I can, can never remember the order. I think it's doingbaseball.podbeam.com. If not, it's the other way around. And uh, until next time, we're going to be doing some baseball. All right, thanks, uh, Angela, for being here as well, our first guest. Yeah, thank you for having me. Great story. It was, and- it was a great story. Yeah. I'm Sean. And I'm Eds. We did it. Yep. (laughs) Bye. Bye.